Imagine God appearing to you in the night, and he says to you, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Ask for it. You have an open invitation. What would you like? Can you imagine being asked that question by the Lord? From the creator of all things, the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, the one who is over all, in all, and through all. And he comes to you and says, ask for whatever you wish. What do you want me to give you? What would be the first thing that would come to your mind? Maybe salvation for your family. Maybe a house on the island. I've been dreaming of houses on islands. Maybe peace. Maybe you're a car buff and you want that new Maserati. This is your chance. Maybe I'm going to ask for that few million bucks. Or maybe I would just, maybe I want healing. Maybe I've been suffering and I want healing. Maybe I want a spouse. I want a companion. How many of you would be quick to say wisdom? I want wisdom. Give me wisdom to lead. I, re- I remember a moment in elementary school. I was roughly Marin and Lillian's age. And our teacher asked the class, who wants to be rich? Put up your hands. And everyone was very suddenly alert to the thought of riches. And they're bouncing in their seats and putting up their hands. They all wanted to be rich. Can you imagine the thoughts that would be going through the little child's mind? All the thoughts of riches. I'm finally going to get clothes that aren't hand-me-downs. I'm going to buy all the candy in the corner store. My parents never buy me a phone, so I'm going to buy a phone with my riches. They would have all these wild ideas of what they wanted to do with their riches. And I was the odd one in the class that sat with my hands on my lap. I was one of these things that did not look like the others. And so the teacher proceeded to ask me why I did not want to be rich. And I don't know what influenced my answer, whether I had just heard a Bible story here. I was, I was actually at Sunday school in the basement of this church at that point in my life. So I don't know if I actually heard a Sunday school message and I had an answer. But when the teacher asked me in front of everyone, I said, if I become rich, I might start to love money more than God. And I don't want anything to take me away from loving God. And I remember it being a real heartfelt answer, yet what came next was an uproar of mocking from my classmates. The exuberance that was fueled by their excitement for riches was suddenly turned on me, and I was called a liar, I was ridiculed, I was laughed at. No one believed that I actually wanted God more than money. And today, we wouldn't mock you. If your answer to the question was, I want wisdom. I want wisdom. But if I was someone who had never experienced the mind of God in a situation, in the midst of a trial, if I had never experienced having his grander perspective to a situation, I might not understand the value of what you see in your answer being wisdom. If I've never experienced God giving me clarity instead of confusion or divine solutions to problems that no man could ever come up with, I might not understand 
how great wisdom actually is. I might just think, well, I've been getting by with my own thoughts, with my own understanding. That's good enough. I'm going to ask for something else. I might think someone with zeal for wisdom would be crazy when you were just asked to give whatever you wanted. You could pick anything. But for Solomon, God did ask him this question. This was the, this was the question that God came to him in the middle of the night and said, and his answer was wisdom. His answer was for the benefit of others, not himself. And that's actually a distinguishing factor between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom, man's wisdom serves me. But godly wisdom serves the kingdom. It thinks of others, it does not think of me. And so I actually want you to turn to Second Chronicles. Chapter 1, we're going to look at Solomon's answer. Second Chronicles. Got to find the right verse now. Verse 8 in chapter 1. So this is Solomon's answer to God. He says, You have shown great and steadfast love to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David, my father, now be fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours which is so great? And God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart. And you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you. You have not even asked for long life but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches and possessions and honor such as none of the kings who had who were before you and none after you shall have the like. So that was Solomon's answer. And as we look at the book of Proverbs, Turn there now with me, Proverbs chapter 3. Solomon was the man who wrote the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. And he, he describes here in chapter 3 how profitable wisdom is. So I want you to listen to this description. Chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. For, from, for, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. She's more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Wow. Long life is in her hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. I want to actually carry on. There's so much about wisdom in Proverbs. And I was actually just reading more this morning. So I actually want to carry on. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul. An adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely. Your foot will not stumble. How many of us need that today? We all need it. We need wisdom. We need godly wisdom. There's nothing in this world that could offer you anything greater than wisdom. Nothing you can desire even comes close to gaining the mind of God. 
Do you believe this? Have you tasted of this truth? If you have, you'll actually be someone who asks for wisdom all the time, on a regular basis. Solomon was known as a man for wisdom, but unfortunately, the ending of his life, he began to follow after worldly wisdom. And it became his downfall. I want us to now read James chapter 1, back to our, our book that we're going to be studying. James chapter 1, verse 5. That's where we're picking up today. 5 to 11. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. With no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall Flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. If you remember from our introduction two weeks ago, James was writing to Jewish believers who were undergoing persecution. They were undergoing financial oppression from the rich. They were undergoing trials. And these trials were causing their faith to be tested. Would they remain faithful to the Lord? Or would they begin to follow the ways of the world? So in the context of these trials, James is telling them that God will generously give them wisdom. You're not going to be left alone in the midst of your trial. You can ask for wisdom and it will be granted to you. And when James speaks of wisdom in this context, he's meaning the mind of God in the midst of a trial. You see, wisdom is being able to see individuals, circumstances, events through the eyes of God, with his understanding, with his perspective. And if we don't have the mind of God and we face a trial, what's going to happen? We become disillusioned, we become discouraged, we can become anxious, and we're tempted to stray away from the Lord instead of leaning into the Lord. You see, the wisdom of the Lord in, the in times of persecution, in times of trials, it brings peace. When we can't understand things, his mindset will bring peace. I remember when I was um, a young adult, I guess, age, um, and I was still not understanding. Throughout my teenage years, I still did not have the mindset of God towards the death of my brother in a tractor accident at a young age. I didn't have the mind of God. All I knew was grief. But I remember a time when it was like he gave me his perspective on the situation. And it completely brought freedom. It brought a new level of peace. Sometimes we actually continue in unnecessary grief because, simply because we don't have the mindset of God in a situation. But he can bring peace to you today. Where there is no peace. See, God's perspective, he sees value in trials. What? <laughs> it's crazy. 
Our human nature doesn't think like that. We don't see value in perspective. But see, he sees the end result that we're going to be complete, perfect, not lacking in anything. And he's moving us towards that direction of holiness. Instead, we like to count it all joy when you run from trials, when you escape them, when you don't have any. That's when we count it all joy. We don't count it all joy in the midst of them. That's not how we, that's, that shows human wisdom, not godly wisdom. Yet we can cry out for wisdom so that we can have his value. We can understand his mind and what we're facing. He can give us his perspective to show us why we have to persevere, why we're enduring something. And then we can do it with strength, with joy, with an added measure of peace. So James says to ask, if you're lacking in wisdom, he goes on in verse 6, and he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. There's a condition required when we ask for wisdom. We must have it coupled with faith. So what are we supposed to have faith in? We're supposed to have faith that God is actually going to do what he says he's going to do. Do we have faith in his words that God is actually trustworthy? If he says, I'm going to give you wisdom generously, generously, not just a little bit. I'm going to give it to you generously. Do I believe that? Do I believe his words to be trustworthy? Or am I still thinking, well, he came through me this for me this time, but he didn't come through for me here. So I'm not sure if I can really trust his input. But then we'll be like the wave tossed about by the wind. We'll be double-minded. We're to have faith that God is a generous God. That he's going to give it to you without finding fault. If we aren't asking for wisdom regularly, it reveals that we either don't believe his words to be true... Or we're still so full of pride thinking, I've got this. I can do life on my own. I don't need his input. I don't need his advice. I don't need his understanding. But Proverbs 12 verse 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. You see, we're to have faith that God is a good God. Who will give us what we need to endure to the end. You are not alone. And just as we talked about last week, Romans 8, 28, we're to believe that he's actually going to make everything work together for our good. These are the things we're to have faith in, to believe, to put our trust in, to grow our faith into. So if doubt looks like a wave being tossed to and fro by the wind... That's figuratively speaking. How could it actually look being played out in our lives? I might procrastinate because I'm not sure how to move forward. And I might succumb to fears, thinking I'm all alone in my decision making. And so I just remain stagnant, not moving, because I don't actually believe that if I take a step, he's going to give me his mind to help me take the next step. I might not take hold of my promised land because all I'm seeing are the giants in the land. If I'm doubting, worry and anxiety will be my constant companion. I might actually give terrible advice to a friend. 
because my advice will be filtered through my own understanding or my own unhealed wounds instead of the wisdom and understanding of God. I might make decisions that aren't in sync with the timing of God for my life. Those are just a few. There's probably many more of what doubt could practically look like in our lives and practically could go on and on. But when I don't trust God, when I waver back and forth, my loyalty between the world and between God becomes divided. I'll be double-minded and unstable in all of, our, in all of my ways. But let's look at what the fruit will be of our faith. As we believe God for wisdom, what kind of people will we actually be? For one thing, you'll be a person who walks in wisdom because you'll receive what you've asked for. You'll be a person of prayer. You're going to inquire of the Lord in everything that you do because you know that he has a plan, that he has understanding. You're going to find joy in trials and you're going to be an overcomer through the mind of God. Ecclesiastes 7.12 says that wisdom preserves your life. You'll be one who gives wise counsel. You'll be able to discern the truth in a situation. You'll be humble because you won't be self-reliant. Proverbs 11.2 You'll constantly be growing in maturity and in holiness. You'll be stable and steady because you're trusting God alone and his voice. You'll have a healthy fear of the Lord. You'll have understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You'll turn from evil. One who is wise will see evil for what it is and they'll run from it. Proverbs 14, 16 says, One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. If you're still dabbling in the things of the world and the lusts of the flesh, if you're still a slave to sin, you can cry out for the wisdom of God to show you what evil is. You can see it for what it really is when you have the mind of God and you're not going to stay there. You're going to run. If I believe that God is going to give me wisdom, I'm going to be someone who is constantly moving forward in faith. I will be acting in faith, knowing that his wisdom is going to lead me moment by moment. So then in our passage, James goes on to say, he talks about wisdom and then he's on to another topic. Talking about the rich and the poor. So I'm going to read verse 9 to 11 again. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So remember in the context, people are facing financial hardship. And so the status of the day was if you are wealthy, you had status. If you are poor, you have no status at all. And he wanted them to understand that their financial position did not equate to their status with God. He doesn't want them to think as the world thinks. See, wealth would give them status in the world's eyes, but not in a kingdom heavenly perspective. They would only further oppress themselves by taking on that worldly mindset. So James says to the poor, boast in your exaltation. Rejoice because your faith lies in God, not in your money, not in your bank account. 
This would be a temporary situation for them. This was not going to be eternity for them. And just as being poor can be a trial, so can being rich. Riches can become your driving pursuit instead of God. And this is what happened to Solomon, where the blessings of God became his downfall because he couldn't keep them in the context of wisdom. He began to trust in them more than in the wisdom of God. You see, for the rich, they need to realize and come to that understanding that wealth is actually temporary. It's unstable. It could quickly fade away. So their trial is to actually remain humble, to remember their true status, that they weren't of any more value than the poor among them. So James wanted the rich to boast in their humiliation, to have the mind of God when it comes to their earthly possessions and finances. You see, our dignity is not derived from the source of our finances. You know, I was thinking this week, do you realize that a trial that leads you to put your faith in God is actually a gift? It's a gift. And so many trials that we don't, ex- don't want to experience can be the very thing that leads us into the riches of the kingdom. That is something to rejoice in. So both the rich and the poor were to place their trust in God and God alone. And when our trust is in God, you are going to be rich in many ways. So where do you go to find truth in these days? In a world of chaos, we want some sort of understanding. So we seek after truth to try to help us with the complexities of life, the complexities of this world. And more often than not, we go to the internet to find the truth about current world circumstances. We seek the internet for articles that sound like the truth that we want to believe. And in this day and in this season, in a, in a season of a global pandemic, I want to know the mind of God in a situation I want to be like Solomon saying, Jesus, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom in this day and in this time. I want to know what God is doing more than I want to know what the enemy is doing right now in this world. And when we go to the internet, sometimes that's all we're seeing. Who's plotting evil? I want to know what God is doing. And that will only happen when we get on our knees and seek him for wisdom. When we get in our word and seek him for wisdom, you're not going to find it on the internet. What happens to a church who claims to be spirit-led yet seeks first the internet for the truth? It's a church that becomes divided. It's a church that begins to judge one another for their opposing opinions on the pandemic. Whether to mask or not to mask. But you see, a spirit-led church will seek first the wisdom of God. We will seek first the mind of God. And we will walk in unity towards the common goal of sharing love to our community. That is what a spirit-filled church will be. God wants to raise up leaders in our day who seek him for the truth. Who seek his mind in in a matter. His perspective in a matter. 
He wants to give us wisdom like he gave to Stephen the deacon who spoke with such power and wisdom that they could not refute him. That's what he wants to do. He wants to place leaders in positions where they are seeking him and him alone so that they can be their, his voice piece to bring God's mind into chaos of the world. Some of us today actually need to put our internet aside. We need to get on our knees. We need to say, Jesus, give us the perspective from on high for the times we are in, for the situations we are in. Give us creative ways to love and reach our community for the gospel. You see, God wants to see the goodness he is he wants us to see the goodness that he's bringing about in situations and trials. He's promised that in Romans 8, 28, not only for you individually, but for us corporately. And he actually wants to show us the goodness he's doing so that we can partner with him to bring that goodness to fruition. He wants to give you wisdom. He wants to give me wisdom. And all we need to do is ask. I just want to close with this verse today. Proverbs 2, 3 to 6. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Amen.